Father in heaven, we're just thankful that we have this opportunity to allow you to reveal yourself to us. And I just pray that the time we spend together would be that revealing. It would be a wonderful revelation of your love for us and your purpose. In Jesus' name, amen. Can I just... Um, one of the, the verses Edwin shared this morning, it just, really, it just really struck me, and I just want to read it again because it relates to the first subject here, the, the water that we're going to be talking about. It was the Revelation 22, 1 that, that he read. And he showed me, this is from the New King James, so it's a little bit, it reads a little bit different. He showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Everything that happens in life is mediated in water, by water. Um, and when you look in the soil, remember we, let me just put it there. Well, oh, help. Let me just move it this way. Um, you remember in our model that we showed that ideal model that we wanted to have that pore space, 50% of the volume of the soil, that pore space, but within that pore space, we wanted half of that fill with water. And if you were to look at, look at the soil and you look at growth that happens there, it happens in what's called the soil solution. It happens in the, media of in the medium of water. It's another representation of the Holy Spirit. And I'm, I, I've made my mind up that I'm going to leave some things for, it to, uh, for the Holy Spirit to inspire you to chase after today. So there's some things I'm not going to share. I hope that what I do say will um, motivate you to, to chase after a few things. But... Uh, one of those is um, the former and the latter rain. If anybody heard anything about that, the only thing I'll say about that is water, the medium of water, will only bring to a full expression the character of what it's acting on. Okay? So I want you to just think about that. Um, you know that Bible verse we just read said it was pure water, crystal clear. It's designed to express the character of that soil. So with the air that comes in and the chemistry that's in that soil, it's within the medium of the water that it's brought to life and life, life is expressed. But it can only bring to life what's there to express. Do you understand that? So it will bring to life whatever the character is there. I'm going to share a little bit of this more this, this evening again, so I don't want to say, you know, say everything. But uh, the other thing that was shared, and I've shared in this class, is the, the fact that man was, uh, I heard it in the, this morning, it's fascinating to me. Uh, you know, when I, when I do presentations for the whole group and everything, I kind of develop a framework of what I think I ought to say. And then I kind of leave it open a little bit. I have, you know, material and, and, and stuff I feel that would be important to share. And I've had to modify it, even after breakfast this morning. Um, because the Lord just kind of brought more clearly to me, what is it that needs to be shared? And I keep hearing common themes, common themes that relate to what I was going to share anyway. But uh, to share aspects that maybe nobody thought about that would help us to be more clear about God's purpose as, as 
my hope. But remember the Bible in Genesis it says that we that God formed man from the dust of the earth. He formed him. Right? What condition do we have now? Let me before you think about that, what do you hear a lot about today in the world, in the religious world? Do you hear a term called reformation? What about a term called formation? Do you hear that term? What do you think the difference is? If you're forming something, what are you doing? You're forming it. Okay? But the Bible says that God formed. And something happened to that form. Something went wrong. And now we have deformity. And so when you're considering this when you're considering this subject, ask yourself the question is what is needed reforming? Or is it forming? Anyway, just something to think about. We need to move into the in the water. It just struck me when that when he was when Edwin was reading that this morning, uh, and also this morning in the worship. Um, not a new concept, but I just thought it was worth worth sharing. Just think about because in today's world, and you'll see it when we go into the carbon fertility. Across all of these facets, you'll see uh, there's either the idea that God formed, and God's the authority. Or man forms, and man's the authority. And, and uh, I'll try to touch on them as we go through each of these. So anyway, we're back to that model soil again. And we're looking for half of that pore space to fill with water. Well, why half of it? I mean, this is the ideal, and it, and it varies a little bit. I mean, it might be 26 and 24 or something like that. It depends on the overall conditions. Um, before we get there... Uh, you're saying half of the pore space of it, it's only 50% minerals and it's 50% pore space, air, mm -hmm. and water. Is that like a super fluffy soil? Is that really well ploughed? How, how do you get to that? Uh, no, it actually isn't. It's um, most, well, yeah, most soils don't have that amount of porosity. And Well, I shouldn't say that. Some soils don't have near that much pore space, and some soils have more than that. Um, and you'll see, we'll, we'll, I'll address that a little bit. Um, this is the whole purpose. Remember what I said there was a range of how much calcium and how much magnesium you needed? It was about developing the proper porosity in whatever soil it is. We're not talking about texture here. We're not talking about how, how much sand, silt, and clay is. Because that will naturally determine, to a, to a certain extent, um, how much pore space is in that soil. How much you think there would be more pore space in a sandy soil? Yeah. And do you think there'd be less in a clay soil? Yeah. Well, you'd be generally right. So what do you do if you have a sandy soil and you're poor, you have too much porosity in that soil? What do you do? Well, the answer, you know, from the answer from, uh, uh, depends on who you're asking that question, but, you know, by and large they say, well, you're just stuck with what you have. And, you know, somebody might tell you if you put organic matter in, that would help uh, improve things. But it's the character of that soil that will determine, you know, it's the, the, particularly the calcium and the magnesium, how it's structured that will determine the pore space. And it's not just how much pore space there is, it is the size of those pores. And you're going to see as we do the water here why that is important. It's, uh, 
you know, you want you don't want a few big pores, and that's it, or you know, tons and tons of little tiny pores. Uh, as we go through the water here, you'll see why. You want the ideal porosity, which is you know, there's a certain pore size and then a certain quantity. Fifty percent of the soil you want to have airspace in it. Um, I just put this slide in to show you that water is moving all the time. I like the uh, air and water are both representative of the Spirit of God. And, but, uh, you know, when Nicodemus came to Jesus and they had their conversation and, and Jesus said to him uh, when he was asking, well, how can you be born again? When Jesus said you had to be born again, well, how do you do that? How do you crawl back into your mother's womb? And does anybody remember what, how Jesus, what Jesus says to him? Well, he's describing the Spirit of God. It's by the Spirit of God that you, that he describes it the way that, the, where, the way air is. I mean, air moves where it moves and, and it influences what, what it influences. And water, water's continually moving and, uh, influencing. Water, when we, when we do, um, Environmental influences, we'll elaborate on this a little bit more, but water is the major buffer in life. It buffers extremes uh, because of its influence on other factors. And so I think that it's the dominion of God, as it was shared this morning, when it has its proper sphere, that buffers the extremes that wind up resulting from life because we're not, we're not formed correctly. Um, so I just wanted to, just so you see that it's, you know, and the truth is that there's no more water or no less water on this planet than there was when God created it. It's all here. It just may be in a different place, you know, performing a different task, but it's, it's all still here. Okay, we need to look at water dynamics, and this is where pore space will come into play. Um, these are the, some of the things we need to we need to address is infiltration, the ability of water to actually penetrate the soil. Have any of you ever seen soil where it rains and everything just washes off? Where I live in Kentucky, I talk to some of the, the uh, we get about 50 inches of rain a year, um, about 45, 50 inches of rain a year there, so there's plenty of moisture. But I talked to some of the people that have lived there when they were children, you know, you know, older people that lived there when they were children. We have a lot of what, what are called wet weather creeks, you know, when it rains, they run and then they, they dry out and everything. And I was talking to a, a couple of older gentlemen and they both said to me, well, where I grew up at, that creek ran year round. You know, that ever flowing stream as opposed to just it fitting and starting, that sporadic um, behavior. And he said, and the whole, I love this because the Holy Spirit just immediately put in my head, why is that? He said, let me tell you why that is. When the water cannot infiltrate the soil, it runs off. And when it runs off like that, it usually erodes. When we get heavy rains there and you look at these creeks they're running, they're just as muddy as can be. They're just taking, they're just taking life with them just down the creek. What happened? the condition of that soil changed. What it used to be able to do was to allow water to infiltrate. And then that water would work its way down through the soil and it would get down to the bedrock and cracks in it and everything. And it would work its way downhill, keep working its way downhill until it would come out of springs or, uh, or into the creeks and would, and would work its way out. We actually have a pond on our property that never goes dry because water runs out of there. Now, 
I talked to the people we bought the property from and the spring is not running like it used to. They told me that, that water would be flowing over the drain on that thing just pretty regular, just regular. It, it's just trickling now over there. But it still does it even when we're in dry weather. But what happens is that water penetrates the ground. It softens it. It works its way through the soil and it makes its way back out into those creeks in all kinds of different places. And it makes that soil more uh, softer and more, more productive, but it also doesn't just run off. It, 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 when it, you know, the chemistry has changed, the condition of the soil has changed, it's hardened. And so now it can't infiltrate anymore and you lose all of those benefits. You don't have an ever-flowing creek anymore. You have these, these uh, uh, destructive events where heavy rains come, they all run off the surface and they take the soil with it and, and uh, wash, it down, wash it down the creek. So one of the reasons you need to write chemistry there is because that structures the soil in a way that water can actually infiltrate can actually get into the soil. If it can't get into the soil, it can't do any, it can't do any good in the soil. Uh, the second is, that the other dynamic, next dynamic we need to look at is storage and availability. We need to store the maximum amount of water that we can store in that soil. Uh, and it needs to be as available as we can possibly, it can possibly be. We need to have the maximum ability of water to be available to that plant. You're seeing drought and wet cycles more and more. I don't know how it is in Australia here, but you're seeing, you're seeing, you know, uh, and this is a dynamic. It, it actually, uh, you'll discover that everything comes back to character. Everything comes back to the soil. As the character of the soil changes, the water dynamics in the soil change. Uh, I'll just say vegetation is a moisture sink. It draws, it attracts water. Um, water is a buffer of temperature. And so when it buffers the temperature, uh, it buffers wind because wind is a function of temperature. The more extreme the temperature fluctuation, the more wind you get. And as, the, as that buffering system deteriorates, the more erratic the weather gets. The, the harder the winds you get, the, the, the more extreme the droughts and everything. Uh, we're going to see as this model gets built, as it gets constructed, there is tremendous buffering. There's tremendous capacity. What happens? You know, somebody asked me, we have, we built three more. We had one pond on the farm and we built three more. And somebody asked, well, what are you building all those ponds for? And everything, but they get 50 inches of rain a year. Well, in the time that we've been there, we've gone a month to six weeks without rain. And right in the middle of the time when, when the, when the crops need rain, and we're just starting to work with this. I say we're starting. We've been doing it for three years, but we're really just, you know, trying to create the conditions here for, so that we can have um, good good growth and everything. And our, uh, we're going to talk about carbon fertility in the next time, in the next class. Um, we don't have very good carbon fertility, and we don't have good structuring, real good structuring yet. And so we don't have uh, good storage and availability characteristics. And so um, you'll see when we go to the carbon fertility. I'll just say. You know, organic matter can hold tremendous amounts of water. And if you have the ability to infiltrate, and we'll touch on it again when we get to carbon fertility, that water, if you can get the water to infiltrate the soil, and you have the organic matter there, if you had a 5% organic matter content, I'm getting ahead of myself in the class here, but if you had a 5% organic matter content in your soil, it can hold five to six inches of rain. 
And then it can dole that out over time. What happens if you don't have that there? What if the water can't even get into the ground to do that? Well, those are the kind of challenges people deal with. And the conditions that they have, that's why I continue to say, if you, you have to provide the right conditions, and once you provide the right conditions, things start going really well. But most people don't have those conditions. So this is one of the reasons that you want the pore space a certain size. Because it's, it has to do with availability, and we're going to look at that in a minute as we go on. Um, another dynamic is capillarity. What you want is water to move in the soil. Um, do you have anything like the, you know, like in, in the States, we have the Farmer's Almanac, and in that they have uh, something they call them, you know, planting by the moon signs. Um, well, a lot of that has gotten, in, gotten into a, a, a very esoteric kind of, notion of the stuff that they say and everything that but there's some very legitimate science that's that's related to it as well do you know how the tides work you know how the with the moon actually makes the tides rise and fall the water comes up and the water goes down it actually does the same thing in the soil if that soil can breathe it'll the water will there's a tidal phenomenon in this in the soil too and it in order to have that effectively work, you have to have capillarity in that soil. That water has to be able to move in the soil. In your body as well, yep, yep. Um, so creating that condition so you, yeah, by the way, on the moon signs thing, and also planting by the, the signs of the moon, that's where they get esoteric, but there's actually science to that too. It has to do with the gravitational pull on the moon as opposed to the pull of the earth. You know, when the, the moon is closer to the earth and when it's full, it has a more stronger tidal pull than a gravitational pull than the Earth does. And so the idea is that you plant when the Earth's gravitational pull is stronger because that will encourage root germination and root development. So you'll put the root down first, and then as the moon, as the moon moves in its cycle, then you'll, you'll get more gravitational pull from the, from the moon. It'll, it'll offset the Earth, and then the plant, the top plant part of the plant will grow more, more quickly. Um, and so you can calculate out, you know, with short, medium, and long-term germinating seeds when to plant them in order to take advantage of all that. I call it a one percenter, and I tell people, I said, that's not your first priority because you got a whole lot of other issues to deal with before. Um, but it does actually work. A lot of the, you know, there's a lot of craziness with it too, but there is. It came from somewhere legitimately before in the past. Let me just say that. It's just got kind of turned in some, some weird stuff in the, in the process. Um, and then the other, the other dynamic is evapotranspiration. It's evaporation, it's a combination of evaporation and transpiration. Um, evaporation is water evaporating out of the soil, and transpiration is water being breathed out by the plant. Just like uh, we breathe, there's moisture in, in our breath. Uh, this, it, it, the plant breathes it out, uh, and so you need, you need to maximize the efficiency and the ability of that soil to be able to, tra uh, plants to transpire water from that soil. Uh, evaporation is not necessarily something you want to happen. Uh, depending on, if you don't have a lot of water available to you, then you want to minimize the ability of that water to evaporate out of that soil. And we'll, we'll look at that a little bit here. So let's look at, I want, the first one I want, well, we need to look at this. Um, what we're looking at here is, as you see on the bottom, it says available water for plant growth. Not all water in the soil is available to the plant for growth. 
And so on this side, we have what's called hydroscopic water. And it's the remaining water that adheres to soil particles and is unavailable to plants. The electrical attraction is so strong um, when the film of water gets thin enough, it is so strong to the, to the soil uh, particle that the root can't pull it off. It can't take it off. And they call that the wilting point. That's when, when the water level in the soil gets down to the point where the plant can't get any, the root can't get any more of the water out of the soil and it'll actually wilt because there's still water there, but it's just not available. Um, and then in the middle, well, well let's do the other side. Um, on the other side, you have what's called gravitational water. In other words, that water, it, there's, um, <clears throat> gravity is going to pull it out of the soil because there's not enough electrical attraction to, the, to hold it to the soil particles in, in the soil, the individual particles, whether it's sand, silt, clay. You know, there's not enough gravity stronger than the electrical attraction in the soil. And so it moves through the soil. And on that side, you see the term on the, on the bottom there, field capacity. Once all that gravitational water moves through the soil, um, then you're at field capacity. That's the maximum amount of water that that soil can hold. Now, in the middle, you have what's called capillary water. And this water is the water that's held in micropores, you don't see it really well on this slide here, but and also around the, the, the jacket of water or the film of water that's around all the soil particles in the soil and the organic matter. And this is what they call available water that plant roots can uh, you know, absorb and, and use. The reason you want the porosity to be um, optimum is because the pore, depending on the size of the pore spaces will determine the maximum that you can hold the maximum amount of water. You got enough, as much surface area, the maximum surface area you can have to hold the maximum amount of water that is available to the plant. Now we'll talk about the other aspect, the carbon fertility and how humus holds water too. But this is the, the dominant way that the, the, the soil holds water to make it available to the plant. And it also, the pore space also allows like a highway for the water to move, that capillarity that I talked about. Because the pores are a certain size, they're close enough together to each other that the water can move from one particle to the other and on, on its way and move. And so if you have a plant root down in there, say it's over here in the, on the right, and it starts pulling the water out of the soil there that it needs, and it gets down over here to uh, the wilting point, it can't get any more water off there, what would happen if that water from over on the right couldn't through capillarity move over. You see what I'm saying, How the, why capillarity is important? Because the root, there may be roots both places, but if the root's over here and it starts pulling water and it gets down to this, to the, hydro, uh, to the wilting point, or the, where water can't be pulled off, if water can't move through that soil to get to those roots, then it's limiting to the ability of that plant to grow, to take up the water and grow. The, are you saying the right nutrients and the balance has got a lot to do with how water moves through the soil? The form of the chemistry, I'll use the term form because I want you guys to begin connecting these things. The form of the chemistry determines the structure of the soil. That's interesting because I use an energizer for water, you know, like a vortex. Uh -huh. And uh, a couple of farmers I know and myself have had huge results with just spinning the water, energizing the water. 
Yeah. Yeah. What what may be happening with that? I, I haven't looked into that. I've heard about it, but I haven't really had spent the time to investigating everything. Is when you put that charge. So in some cases, you're altering the bond, the angle of the bonds between the hydrogen and the oxygen atom, on that, and that puts more energy or less energy into those bonds, and as a result, they can be more attracted to the soil particles, and it can also make it more available to the plant. Um, not all water is water, which is kind of a weird thing to say, because um, that, that water we talked about, the coming out of the throne of God, was pure water. But you want to know something about pure water? Pure water, they use pure water, which is, I should say, ultra-pure water, which I'm assuming is we're talking about from, in the Bible there. It can dissolve stainless steel. It is that corrosive because it takes on, it wants to, it wants to take on the character of what it's, it's interacting with. And so that's why you want the form of the chemistry to be consistent with a complete and balanced condition. Uh, we're going to talk as we get through here on what happens with when the water is bringing its own character with it um, and the problems that that, that creates. Um, but yeah, pure water, you can act, pure water, like we had snow melt out where we, when I lived in Colorado, it was largely snow melt. It was fairly pure water. Um, and we, one of the things I learned as a consultant, I had to go take, get training on water quality because uh, the Lord, well, He, led my footsteps, but we managed to find all the places that had problems we didn't know anything about <laughs> that we had to learn. Um, but we had water quality issues at the place we were there, and, and uh, we'll talk about it a little bit in a minute. But the, that snow melt, that's not what we had there, that snow melt, it'll actually pull nutrients out of your soil. Rainwater will pull nutrients out of your soil. And so when I do recommendations, I have to I have to take into consideration, well, they're in a low rainfall area, so this is not going to be a big issue, but then it becomes more of an issue of what is the quality of the water that you're using, because you're using surface water, or in a lot of cases you're using groundwater. I have growers that have, and we're going to get to some of this, but I have growers that have so many dissolved salts, so many salts in their soil, that the plants are just dying of thirst. They can't get any water, even though they put tons and tons of water on. They can't get any water from it, from it. Okay, so do you guys kind of see this concept here? Of, of again, I, I keep repeating this: there are conditions that must be met in order to have fully functioning life. And as those conditions are met, more the closer and closer you get to those conditions, the better things get. The better things grow, the more fruitful and productive they are without intervention, and that's the key, without having to bring on a lot of interventions like um, chemicals to kill pesticides or, I mean, pesticides to kill uh, diseases or, or insects or to prevent them from killing the plant. Uh, apparently, you're probably going to cover this, and apparently carbon hangs on to more water too than nutrients. Yeah, well, we're going to do that in the next, the next session. Okay. Um, this is a this is a drawing uh, 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 animation of how water moves in the soil based on the type of soil it is, the texture of that soil. You know, on the, on the right here, if you had a really sandy soil, water tends to move through it quickly. Why did, why does it move through it quickly? 
Because the, the pore space is so big, there's, and there's not a lot of attraction in the soil, and so that water just kind of goes straight down, and it moves out, and, and it, you don't save a whole lot of that water in that soil. Um, on the other side, on the right side, in a clay soil, there's not a whole, there's not, there's very, not very many good roads to travel on, so it spreads out more, and it works sideways faster than it does work its way down. It takes longer. You know, anybody that's grown in clay soil, you know, what happens when it rains and everything, and it, it, it stays wetter longer. And But believe it or not, there's actually more available water in a clay, or, or, I, I take that back, Don't, just strike that, I didn't mean to say that. Um, the most available water is in this middle one here. Over here, there's a lot of water in that soil. But because there's a lot of surface area, because of the tiny pore, pore space, um, it's just the, 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 the wilting point is much higher on a, a clay soil like that because there's more of that water you, the plant can't get. It's there in larger quantity, but the plant can't get it. And over here, the problem is that there's not enough water there. So the, the, the plant just runs out of water. In the middle, you have what they call a loamy soil. It's just more of a balance of the, of the texture of the soil, the sand, the silt, and the clay. We're just talking about the, 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 the rock fragments, the mineral fragments that are in the soil, how much is of the different kinds are there. Um, you get more of a, a balanced movement of water in the soil. It spreads and it, and it also goes down at the same time. And the maximum water holding ability is in that middle, middle soil. And the only re the reason for that is because just in a, uh, by based on uh, mechanical means, just the pieces of, of rock, the sizes that are in there, um, allows for that. But here's the question again. Uh, remember the whosoever principle here. What if you have this one over here? And you want that ideal condition again. What are we going to do? We're going cha to change the, the porosity in that soil. And what, if, based on what I've, what we've talked about with the chemistry, what would, you, what do you think you would do in that soil? Do you need to loosen that soil up more? Or you need to tighten it up some. Okay, so we would, we would, we would be looking. You would probably be putting more calcium, I mean magnesium, on that soil, in order to, to pull it together more, to tighten it up more. On the left side, what would you do? I mean, the right side, what would you do? Yeah, you don't have enough pore space in that soil. What, you, what the problem is, what you have is you have too tiny a pore spaces. And as a result, you don't have enough pore space. So over there, we need to spread it out. We need to open it up and increase the size of those pores. So. Is that the one they generally recommend putting on clay breaking, like a dolomite on clay? Well, dolomite wouldn't work on a clay real well because you're getting um, magnesium with the calcium. If it were normally, what they recommend is gypsum, calcium sulfate. Uh, because the calcium opens the soil up and it's the sulfur part of it, the sulfate part of it, will grab onto the magnesium and leach it out. Um, but when I talked about calcium, I don't remember if I emphasized it enough or not. You cannot move anything to, through that soil. If you have excesses of something, you cannot move anything through that soil until you open it up enough so that something can move through it. What about microbes? Couldn't they move through it? The microbes? Microbes. Yeah, they can, they they'll move through it, but they're going to have a. Uh, I usually say that when I get to the soil biology, but the, your ultimate objective, because people always you know, think that I, I'm not supportive of biology because I don't agree with this biological approach to 
to improving the soil, um, your ultimate objective is to create the conditions that the biology in the soil can thrive. Because they will do things for you that you, you couldn't even come close to doing. And so, and God designed it that way. I call them, you'll see on the title list, I call them the, un, the unseen agencies. Because how many people see them? They, we don't see what they're doing. Uh, so we encourage the microbes. Exactly. We're encouraging, we're encouraging the soil life to do what God designed it to do. Which is the, to increase life. To, to produce life and increase life. But they need to breathe. Unless you want anaerobic organisms in your soil, but they create a totally different condition and a totally different manner of fruit than than uh, aerobic organisms do. So to break that clay up, would you suggest just purely breaking it up and making it aerated or mixing other stuff with it or just for both problems? Okay. Um, the question was, in order to break that up, how would you how would you break it up and everything? Well, that we were talking about, you can do it chemically with the calcium. Calcium flocculates the soil and opens it up. It opens it up and magnesium aggregates soil and it tightens it up. And so um, you need a minimum of 60% saturation in the soil in order to get it open enough in order for anything to drain through there, to move through there. Uh, we didn't touch this in tillage, so I'm glad you asked that question because I want to add, uh, this is what happens. You know, uh, Spirit of Prophecy talks about God plowing Pharaoh's heart. And it says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. He plowed it over and over, trying to get a change. What was he trying to change? He was trying to change his character. So this is a hazard of plowing and plowing and plowing and not changing the character. What happens when you do that? If the, if the character is such that it's making that soil hard, if I take and I, I pull a, a subsoiler or a plow through there, it opens it up. And we need to do that. We need to get air into that soil. But you know what happens when, it, when the moisture comes back into that soil? It just run, it puts it right back together the way it was. And it actually, because you, you put air into that soil, this is why you can actually use any one of these aspects to drive yield, but you're extracting the capacity to produce life. You're not from from the capacity to produce life. You're not increasing it. Um, so you go in there. What happens when you put that air in the soil by plowing? You're breaking it up, and we're told to break up our fallow ground. So okay, we need to understand correctly what what are we supposed to be doing here? Um, well, we were just talking about organic matter. What happens when you get all that air in there? Well, those microbes start using that if there's not. You know, other food sources, they start using the oxygen they got and they start eating and, and burning out the, the humus in the soil. And humus actually helps structure the soil. And so as more as that is burned out because you put the air in there, but you didn't change the chemistry that would maintain the structuring of that soil, um, the next time it comes back together, it comes back harder than it was the four, time before. And you come in there and you plow it again, just like God did Pharaoh's heart. Uh, and the same thing happens over again because Pharaoh didn't change. He, he held his ground. And each time that that was done, it got harder and harder and harder. And this happens with us all the time. You know, lots of people, you know, when God brings into our, he, when he plows our hearts, 
It could be difficulties we have to deal with in life of one form or another. Um, and we don't change our character. We don't change our point of view, our perspective, or anything on that. The, the next, when it, when it all comes back together and we kind of get over it, we're a little harder in our attitudes. We're a little harder in our, our spirit and everything. We're not as, we're not as compassionate. We're not as uh, gracious and, and merciful. Uh, we become hard. And, uh, you know, something else comes along. And God plows our heart again. And we don't respond to the, to the, recognizing the need is what we need to do is recognizing the need so that the character can be changed. So, so you, so you see how that happens? If you don't change the conditions, you just, by plowing that ground, you make it worse each time it comes back together, unless there's a change of character. Unless there, and, and you know, the, as far as the organic matter goes, now if you're growing stuff, and you've got a, you're, you're being a witness in life. I'll share a little bit about, you know, what happens when there's no car, when there's no carbon fertility in the soil. But if you're being a witness in life, there's a replenishing going on. We're also going to talk about how's that supposed to be happening? How are we supposed to store oil up in the land? Because we need to do that. We all, we all need to do that. Because there is no inheritability of the soil to preserve what's imparted to it. It will revert back to what it was. With time, it'll just revert back to what it was. So we need to build up some tearing time in that soil, some ability to, you know, to endure, to hold on when there is no ability to build that, you know, to store up that oil in there. You were talking about, uh, you mentioned uh, anaerobic bacteria mm. or microbes. Um, I know a few people are using those and they're getting good results. But anaerobic? Yeah, aerobic and anaerobic. Okay. Well, again, I wouldn't know what all the conditions are, but let me let me just say this: there is a place for and a purpose for everything under heaven that God made. Um, a lot of what we experience today is is a deformation. In other words, there's a there's a deformed expression. It's not a genetic problem; it's an epigenetic problem. Does anybody know what I mean by that? It's how the genetics is expressed. Some things are overexpressed, some things are underexpressed, like the venom in a, in a snake. It's a digestive enzyme that's just exaggerated beyond reason. Um, when we use interventions, by the way, even if we use natural interventions, we're exaggerating something. And it's deadly <laughs> when we exaggerate it. It's a, it's a deformation. Um, but so how they're expressing themselves is, is not in an appropriate way to encourage life. But you've all heard of uh, symbiotic bacteria that you, you inoculate with legumes and everything. The bacteria, that little nodule that's produced in there, it's the, the bacteria produces it to exclude oxygen. They're anaerobic. And they have to exclude oxygen in order to fix the nitrogen. In order for the chemistry to work to fix that nitrogen, it has to be an exclusion. So there is an appropriate function of an anaerobic organism. Um, but there's a lot of inappropriate function of anaerobic organisms and they're, they're just, they're deformed in the way they're expressing, expressing themselves. And we need to, to reform these things so they're functioning. Uh, everything has its purpose and, and um, it's just deformed. Let me give you a good illustration. I love this illustration of epigenetics. Um, there's a whole bunch I could share, but does, has anybody ever smelled the blossoms on a cherry tree? 
It's it's a is it a terrible smell or is it a wonderful smell? What do you think? It's fantastic, isn't it? It's it's a, just a um, and you could just stand there and just breathe it in, breathe it in. Well, they did some uh, they did they took that fragrance and they they took some mice in a cage and they blew that fragrance into the cage. But every time they blew that fragrance into the cage, they shocked them with an electrical shock that inflicted pain. And then they took those mice. What they wanted to find out, would this be passed on? Would a, would a, this is not a genetic um, impact. Would this be passed on? The response be passed on? In other words, how they express their, how would they respond to the smell of cherry blossom, which is a wonderful fragrance. It's not a terrible smell. I mean, I could understand if you smelled a terrible smell and you got shocked at the same time, that might be a good uh, um, connection. But So they took the next generation of the mice and they put them in the cage and they blew the cherry blossom fragrance into the cage. What do you think the mice did? They didn't shock them, they just blew the cherry fragrance in. The mice all cringed like they were going to be pain, they were going to feel pain. As rather, this is how we can turn good into evil and evil into good because we're conditioned in our deformity we're conditioned to see things one way when in reality they should be another way and you could go and you could you could there's a lot of illustrations they've done a lot of work on this and it uh, where does it say in the Bible that um, the sins of the fathers will be passed on how many generations um, this is an illustration of those things. It's, it's how we express. We, 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 we have influences in our lives. We have the, the genetic influences that we get from our parents, you know, but then we also have epigenetic influences. We do, we did medical foster care for 16 years. And, um, so we've adopted kids. Now, if you have, if you have your own children, you see think, qualities of yourself in them, don't you? You know, one of the, you know, what, mom or dad, you know, one of them, you see some of the behaviors and attitudes. You don't necessarily like seeing them, but, but, uh, um, you can see, you know, characteristics, you know, the way they respond to things, the, the, their behavior and stuff like that, you can see is, is similar. Um, well, we adopted four children. And I, I'm, I'm bringing this up because these children had different influences on them. And, their behavior is reflective of the influences that they had on them. And I'm not, I'm not going to sh share their names or anything like that, but they, uh, I, I'll just say this. They, their mother, uh, two of the children we adopted, their brother and sister, um, their father prostituted their mother while she was carrying them as children. Now, what do you think might be the influence of that? Do you think that there were a lot of hormones in mom's body the whole time she was developing those children? And I can tell you that we have issues with those two kids that directly relate to that. It was because that was the influence. And if you think, my, um, people, they always talk about, um, you know, if you're going to get pregnant and have children, well, be sure you're taking the vitamins and everything like that. The influences start way before conception ever happens. 
And in the process of the development of that child, there's very definite the, the influences. You know, stories of people singing to their children, you know, while the, the mother's singing to them while she's pregnant, and the children learning the song, you know, singing the song. And the only time they, they never learned it, nobody told it to them. They just they, they remember hearing it. Um, some of that stuff seems so crazy to us, but it's important that we understand that those epigenetic influences, they're, they're causing us to express ourselves in the way that we do. And those expressions are not always, not always good expressions. Um, so again, on, on, on the, 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 the spreading, the, the making the available of that water, making sure the excess water gets through the soil and moves on through, and, uh, the, but at the same time, we can hold on to as much water as we can to have it available for, for growth. That is, that, that, you can change that too. You can change that condition, both chemically and through carbon fertility, which we'll talk about in a minute here. And most grower, most soils that I see are very, dif I mean, they've wiped out the organic matter in the soil and, um, the chemistry is not great. And so this dynamic is not in play. And all of these conditions need to be brought into harmony with the way that they should be. Not just one of them or not just two of them, but all of them in order to get the, the full benefit of the, the condition. Okay, so those were the, the dynamics here, but now we need to look at a, a different, different issue, and that's the quality of that water. Um, I call this the kind of spirit it's brought to bear. And I can tell you, I've dealt with water quality issues, and I have a lot of growers that are dealing with them. I would much rather deal with the character of the soil chemistry-wise than I would deal with the spirit of the soil, which is, which is this contaminated water that's bringing its own character with it. It's, um, uh, some of the things you have to look at is uh, TDS is just total dissolved solids or the mineral load. What's coming with it? And we were, uh, I, the reason I had to go do training on water quality because it was disrupting what you were trying to do with changing the character in the soil, changing the chemistry. It'd come in and just totally disrupt all of that. And the, the soil was taking on the character of the water instead of the water taking on the character of the soil. The, the character you wanted it to take on. The water always takes on the character of soil unless it's got more to say than the soil has to say. And then, then it begins influencing things. Um, but you want that pure, you, you, even though pure water is highly corrosive, what, it, what you wanted to do is you wanted to take in that balanced chemistry that's in the soil. So that the plant has access to balanced chemistry to grow. Um, so TDS mineral, that mineral load is, is just really how much minerals coming in in the soil. And let's say you've got, um, you have to irrigate uh, 12 inches because you don't get enough rainfall and you have groundwater or something and it's got high calcium in it. And based on the TDS or the mineral load, you're putting on 600 pounds of calcium per inch of water and you're putting 12 inches on. You think that could become a problem? Yeah, and very definitely. Calcium is probably less of an issue, but it, it very definitely is, because remember I said that calcium can tie up everything else? It can suppress everything else. Um, the bigger problems are with some other, some other uh, elements like sodium and, and magnesium and those type of things that can really... But all the time you want balance. 
all the time you want the, 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 the chemistry to be what you want it to be. And it, not, it isn't always that way. I was putting, um, with the water quality I had in Colorado, I was putting 200 pounds of sodium per acre. Can you imagine putting 200 pounds of table salt on, on the soil? And what made it worse than that is I had, uh, well, let me do that, and then we'll touch on that a little bit more with the bicarbonates. Uh, soluble salts uh, is another issue. And this is even worse than the mineral load because what it's, it's taken in saying, well, how much of that mineral load is actually in ionic form and, and in what would be a, called a salt form? It's dissolved in the water. It's not just coming suspended in the water. It's actually dissolved in the water. Um, when the salts go high, then they're competing to hold on to the water. And, and uh, I have a grower, a school, a mission school in uh, New Mexico, their, their salts, their soluble salt levels are so high in the soil that they can't put enough water on. Their plants are wilting and dying because they can't, the, the, the water's competing, the, the salts in the water are competing for the water against the root of the plant and the, the root of the plant doesn't win. Um, the attraction is too strong to the salts in the water um, and it also winds up altering the chemistry in the soil as well. Is there any solution to that, that situation, to that um, Yeah, well, you could call for uh, Elisha and, uh, and uh, <laughs> ask for a healing of the waters. But yeah, there are, there, there are some solutions. Some are, some are very expensive and very you know, difficult to implement. Um, and what you have to do is, is you have to remove it through reverse osmosis. You have to remove it from the soil, but it takes a lot of water uh, and it's expensive. It's an expensive process to run uh, a, a reverse, depending on how much you know, water you're needing and everything. I actually saw there's a company that has developed a um, distilling, a solar distilling process of cleaning the water up, where you, they have a, a, a uh, I can't remember my concave and my convex, but a curved mirror with a tube in the middle and they, they send the water through it and it evaporates it into steam. It leaves behind the minerals and then they condense the water back and they come out with clean water. Um, I really like that idea for especially if, like for this place in New Mexico because they have a lot of sunshine. They've got a lot of, you know, they could really, that would really work. The problem is the cost of that system too right now. The, the, the only systems that they have right now are huge systems that are millions of dollars. But if you could scale that down, Somebody with you know the creativity and the, the mechanical skills to take and design a smaller system like that 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 would be a solution that wouldn't uh, be an ongoing expense you know the, the tremendous expense. I always told him I have another uh, school in uh, Utah and they have the same problem. It's not quite as bad as these guys have here. I said you guys need to do that and just, then just separate out the salts and sell them. <laughs> just, <laughs> just make some money selling the salts out too. Uh, uh, another problem is bicarbonates. I didn't mention carbonates there because they're not as common, but they're even worse. But bicarbonates, they usually come with um, uh, another cation element. So it could be calcium, it could be magnesium, it could be potassium, it could be sodium. If it comes with uh, any of the first three, calcium, magnesium, and potassium, it may not be a problem. If it comes with sodium, what happens is that it separates in the water. And then when it goes into the soil, the bicarbonate grabs the calcium 
It prefers calcium, so it grabs the calcium off of the soil colloids and reverts it back to calcium carbonate, an unavailable form, and thus it's broken down again. And the sodium takes its place on the soil colloid. Now, remember what I said happened when, when the sodium is on the, co the colloid in the soil? What happens to the structure of the soil? It falls apart. It, it collapses. It disperses. So the, they're not, they just all fall apart. And, um, and so this is a problem that we had in Colorado. We had sodium bicarbonate in our water. And you can, you can inject acids into the soil. Um, the one that's commonly used is sulfuric acid, but it's dangerous. It's regulated and it's expensive to operate that. They do have sulfur burners you can use. There's some other materials. If it's not too bad, you can use materials like humic acids or citric acid, uh, things like that. But the, the, the uh, overall acidity of them is not that high, so it takes a lot more and you can't, you can't neutralize it. What you're doing is neutralizing that bicarbonate before it ever makes it to the soil because then the, the sodium can't outmuscle the calcium, but the bicarbonate can yank it off there in a second. Uh, so you have to straighten that out. Now, not everybody has these problems, but after I started helping other growers with their stuff, we were having problems, and I had, I, we weren't able to get things straightened out. It kept going backwards, and I finally said, "What are you using for water?" And you know, we had to start doing water tests to figure out what's coming in on the water. And sure enough, they're they're getting bicarbonates with some other cation with it, and all kind, you can get all kinds of stuff in the water. That's not even counting organics that you may have an issue with, depending on your water source and everything, but, but this also has to be addressed because it's going to change the conditions that you're trying to create in the, in the soil. It's going to disrupt it. Um, SAR is sodium absorption ratio, and really what that does, because sodium with the bicarbonate is where the problem really is, the largest problem. So they have a way of calculating what that is, and that's, what it tells you is if you have a certain level of that, you have a high probability of, of your soil structure being damaged. Uh, and not only that, but you know when it reacts with the calcium, it ties it up, and so then you lose calcium availability as a structural element and a nutritive element. And so you don't have enough calcium to grow your crop well. One of the things that we had to do is we had to overload the calcium. We had to put more calcium on than would have been normally required. But over time, you begin accumulating calcium carbonate, and so um, we finally, about the time we figured out, you know, after. I, learn what I needed to do and everything, well then we were in the process of moving. So, <laughs> but the more, good, the more good information you have about the, the things that affect the growing system, the better decisions you can make. So if you have a good soil test, it can tell you what the conditions of the soil are. If you have a water test based on the water that you're, you're utilizing to irrigate if you need to irrigate, even if you're just using rainwater, rainwater can, can leach out up to 300, 400 pounds of calcium a year, just from the acidity. Why is rainfall acidic? Because um, carbon dioxide in the atmosphere is dissolved in the water, the raindrops, and makes carbonic acid. And then as that, when it falls to the soil, that carbonic acid you know, reacts with the calcium and leaches it out. So you first start out with, with a little more generalized stuff where you're, being, you're trying to straighten the chemistry out and everything, and then you start moving into smaller and smaller refinements to get that system so that it's, you know, you're, you're addressing everything that's impacting that system to prevent it from being undermined. And you'll discover that there's plenty of things in life that undermine doing the right thing, plenty of them. And you need to just start taking one of them 
one after the other out. But you do the big things first and you start addressing the big things. But it's kind of like the moon signs I talked about, planning according to the cycle of the moon. Um, it's a one percenter. You, you can start adding those refinements in. And every little bit of incre you know, speeding up of the growth cycle, you know, you can get a crop, if you can get a crop a week sooner, um, then you have the advantage of going into the marketplace. Well, if you're just growing it for yourself, well, that just means you have it sooner to enjoy. If you're going into the marketplace, you have an advantage over other growers because you're getting it sooner. And a lot of these things, you know, a lot of uh, management techniques in addition to that can actually get you into the marketplace, you know, four to six weeks earlier than, than other people. And if you're bringing something, if you're bringing something good, I always tell growers when I talk about this is, look, I'm not, if, if you do every, if you do things the way everybody else does them and you go to the marketplace, you have no advantage whatsoever over other growers. And, our, and, and it's a ministry for us. It's a mission. It's not just a livelihood. And so when we go, we're, we need to bring something better. We need the people to taste and see that the Lord is good so that, so that we capture their imagination. We capture their hearts and they say, wow, what is it that you're doing? It's, it's just, it, it changes me. It should change people. The truth should change people. Nourishment should change people. Um, okay, what time are we supposed to end? Okay, but we, let, me, let me just finish this, and uh, I think we're done with what we need to do on water. There's a lot more that I could cover on this, but I want to just give you the general picture of the importance of the water and, and the considerations you need to have in order to make sure that you have optimum water there and it's not interfering. And if you have a problem with it, that the, the, you need to address those issues so it's not interfering with your trying to address your soil chemistry and, and getting it straightened out so you can have the porosity and the capillarity that you need. So the last one is just contaminants and pollutants. Um, if, you, if you live in an area uh, that's putting you know, tons of we we had a um, out in Colorado. We got low rainfall there, and so it doesn't necessarily have to. It doesn't necessarily have to be rainfall. It can actually come with the wind. We're going to talk about that when we talk in the environmental influences. But um, if you have industry upwind from you, or up up you know weather from you, and they're putting stuff up into the air, it's going to come back with the rain. It's going to get it's going to get picked up by the the water and it's going to be brought back. So you also have to be concerned about what contaminants might be um, coming, in, coming in with your rainwater. You also might be concerned about groundwater if you happen to be close to a, a facility that's dumping yeah. a, an old mine, yeah, an old mine, and, and, and it's contaminating the groundwater. Um, the, yeah, and, and uh, also, if you're in a heavy agricultural area where they're using tons of, you know, lots of nitrogen, you know, soluble nitrogen, phosphate, and potassium, uh, we have a major problem in the U.S. In the, in the major, you know, growing regions of the U.S., the groundwater, you can't drink it. The nitrate levels are so high in it. At the mouth of the Mississippi, the largest river in the United States, there's a huge dead zone from uh, phosphorus. Now, remember I said phosphorus doesn't go anywhere unless it's washed away. It's from it washing away, and there's just this huge, at the mouth of the Mississippi in the Gulf of Mexico, it's dead, nothing, because of the contamination of phosphate. So uh, being mindful of, of what's happening around you, because you, you know, we're, we're told to be uh, not of the world, but we're still in it. 
we're going to talk about that a little bit too as well, what the difference is between separation. Because um, uh, I tell people you can separate and move out into the country, but if you did like the Israelites did when God led them out of, of Egypt, they brought the city with them in their head. There wasn't a separation up here in the way they thought and the, and their, their perspective on life. Um, and God doesn't, God didn't call us to be, to isolate ourselves. He called us to separate ourselves because we still have a mission to take the gospel to, to the world. Okay, does anybody have any questions on that? If not, we're going to just take a, a short break here and we'll look at carbon fertility. Um, this is a big, big deal. It's important to understand that. Sorry. Is it easy to get those parameters in the standard water test? Um, they'll usually give you what the um, tolerance factors are. So they'll usually give you what you want to have, and anything outside of that is a problem. Some things are more of a problem than others are when you're outside of that range. Um, so, And you can do things to compensate sometimes. It's, it's a matter of knowing, okay, what am I dealing with? What's going on here? We don't realize we're shooting ourselves in the foot sometimes because of the spirit we're bringing to the whole process is disrupting um, what we're actually trying to do. And so that's why we address the whole model. The whole picture has to be addressed correctly and correctly understood on it. Okay, let's take about a five-minute break. We'll get back to it. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.